What's up? Welcome into episode 42 of the Modern Dorm Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Dorm Magazine. Now, this week's episode is absolutely stacked. I'm going to start off by reading a Facebook post from Nate Morton, drummer of The Voice. I think it'll give you guys some really good insight on what his day-to-day life is like. It's pretty amazing. We're also going to talk about teaching a first-time student. So it's not your first lesson, it's the student's first lesson. And what should you teach them in their first lesson? Our featured artist this time is Mr. Klaus Hessler. In our gear review section, we'll take a look at some custom Doc Sweeney snare drums. We'll get to a bunch of your guys' listener questions. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. (laughs) Dude, it must be a busy week for both of us because we had no (laughs) catch-up. Like, (laughs) we weren't even nice to each other. I almost feel like this moment is fake because, like, right before it was like, "What's up, man? Hey, let's get this stupid thing over with." (laughs) Episode forty-two. I couldn't care less. I've got stuff to do. We're gonna change the world. How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah. Are you busy? Currently, yeah. I've got a stack of let's see, one, two, three, four, probably like. 20 products in my office that I need to test in the next week. So. One, two, three, four, <laughs> 20. Oh, man. It's a pretty cool stuff. So I'm, I'm, it's exciting, but at the same time, it's overwhelming when it starts to pile I up. I bet. I can't I even bet. see out my office window because there's just cardboard everywhere. Wow. But, you know, wow. You know, it's it's hey. first world problems, I guess. Exactly. You wanted this job. <laughs> right. So, and you got it. Hey, and congrats on the uh, the website launch. Thank you. Yeah, so that'll be like a, a big public launch next week, uh, this week. I mean, it is live. Mike'sLessons.com, it is the new site that I've been working on for the last year. It's the reason I took uh, all of 2016 off of clinics and drum festivals. So it is launched, and we're just kind of – the problem is that now we do not have this many students at all. Um, I don't want to get anyone confused, but we have about 24,000 students from the past five years that we're moving over. So it doesn't mean that they're all signed up right now. Um, I don't need anyone doing math in their head and being like, oh, dude, can I have a loan? (laughs) But but we have about 24,000 students that have bought something or been signed up at one point in time that we and we had to migrate them all over just so that whenever they come back, the stuff that they purchased in the past is there or at least we recognize their account. Um, But it's 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 a I wouldn't say it's a nightmare, but it's there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a brand new website, and there's a lot of lessons that people may have purchased two or three years ago that just straight up aren't there because, one, maybe I don't feel like the content is valid anymore, or maybe they were just filmed um, with cheaper cameras and cheaper lenses, and I don't feel like the quality represents what we're doing. So there's still going to be like a couple weeks of catch-up of just getting the content all up to date. But um, I'm hoping that uh, maybe this week you can tackle a course and then give a, a little review to the – listeners of our podcast just what your experience was with the site so it'll be a little less bias i will yeah i've already been scoping out i think i'm gonna do one of the fills pack because i i really can't uh the, the advanced nice. fills course i want to do that because i advanced i just fills course. don't practice fills so cool man that's that. awesome well i can tell you this in the advanced okay so the beginner and the intermediate fills course i'm literally teaching you fills like verbatim these are the fills and they're all leading into the next fill so each fill is unlocking a door when you get to the advanced fills course things change a little bit because i don't think advanced drummers should be playing verbatim fills so the way it is is here i'm going to teach you this fill but the lesson inside of this lesson is what made this fill possible so why don't I teach you that? So here's an example, Phil, but this Phil was made possible by this concept. Now you go make 10 of your own off that concept. Yeah, that's what I need. So, 
Cool, man. Cool. Well, uh, I look forward. Well, I, I kind of look forward to your review. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're, the reason I chose you to do this podcast with me is you're one of my only honest friends. <laughs> so uh, I know that you'll be like, well, to be honest, to it kind of sucked. Honest, no. Yeah. It'll be cool. I, I'm excited for it, man. Very excited for it. All right. Well, I just wanted to, uh, before we really get rolling, I saw a conversation or, or really just a post that Nate Morton had on his Facebook page. And if you guys don't know, Nate Morton is the drummer for The Voice. I believe, maybe you know, Mike, did he do Rockstar in Excess before this? Yeah, I think that's when he kind of became uh, known the to the TV public. guy. Yeah. Got it. So Nate Morton, I remember the first time I saw The Voice. I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that doesn't like American Idol. I didn't. I don't like the reality thing, and I definitely don't like it with art. And the first time I saw The Voice, I think I probably watched it just because I was like, wow, they've they got legitimate judges. That, that's, I remember that kind of striking me as weird. Yeah. These are not has-been musicians. These are current cats killing it. Uh, you know, it was Adam Levine and, and Christina, Aguilera, oh, yeah. Christina Aguilera and CeeLo and Blake Shelton at the time. So anyways, I watched and I was totally taken aback by the fact that it looked like they were actually trying to help these contestants. Yeah. And yeah. it had a positive spin to it, which was new. But then the next thing that really took me back was the drummer. Yeah. I was like, wow, those drums are really loud in the mix. <laughs> yeah. You know, and not like he was playing too loud. I was like, wow, they really are featuring the drummer here. And he was killing it, but the the genres were flipping so fast. Yeah. You know, it was it was a ballad and then it was instantly a Michael Jackson tune and he sounded spot on in both and then all of a sudden it was like a country number and he had this great swing train beat thing going on. I was like, wow, this guy is amazing. So I started to research him, and this is five or six years ago. Really fell in love with his playing, became a huge fan of his. We uh, He actually was going to do the thing in Ireland with myself and Mark Juliana. Instead of Sput, it was going to be Nate Morton. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it was originally Aaron Spears. He had to do something with Usher. Then it went to Nate Morton, and then Nate was all in. We were done, and then what happened was The Voice kind of upped their production schedule for the rehearsals, and he had he, he was like, I'm so scared that I'm going to be there and get called away, Oof. and since it's my real gig, I, I'd have to leave, Yeah, and I don't want to do that to your camp, and so – then we, you know, and everything worked out great. But anyway, so Nate is an incredible guy. But I saw him make this really cool post, and it just, it really shows what this dude does on a weekly basis. So I thought I would read it to you guys. Please bear with me. I am not a professional reader. Mike, you can go ahead and maybe use the restroom or just go <laughs> go anywhere. This is going to take about 15 to 20 minutes. All right, so here is Nate's post. I just had a phone conversation with a close friend that started with them asking me, are we cool? I was like, what are you talking about? And they explained to me that I haven't been able to catch up or return their messages or calls in quite a while. And they were concerned they might have done something to alienate themselves or make me mad to the point that I wasn't giving them or that I was giving them the cold shoulder. I explained that I've just been slammed as of late and we are all good. But it did remind me of how often people ask, so besides the voice, what else are you up to? So he goes on, and then he just pretty much details what the week is like. So let me get into that for you. Here's a rundown of my normal week during the voice live shows. My week begins day one on Wednesday. A typical Wednesday means a 10 a.m. call time. At 10 a.m., the band arrives at Redemption Stages in Burbank. That's where much of the reality segments are shot. Starting at 10 a.m., the band learns all the required songs for that day. Perhaps we're shooting 10 realities with contestants and coaches. That would mean we're learning 10 songs that morning. The band's learning process has become extremely efficient to the point that learning 10 songs might take us roughly two and a half to three hours. After we learn the songs and grab a little lunch, it's time to shoot reality. Shooting reality means behind-the-scenes footage where the coaches listen to their team members perform and offer constructive feedback. That takes up the rest of Wednesday. 
That day could wrap anywhere from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., depending on how smoothly things go or don't go. Day two, this is Thursday. In a perfect world, Thursday is lower impact. It's second day rehearsals, meaning that the contestants come through and each of them gets to rehearse again with the band. No cameras, no coaches. This is the time where the band and the contestants flesh out and solidify the arrangements for the previous day from the previous day. Day three of my week is Friday. On Fridays, the band goes into a professional recording studio, typically Henson or United, both located in Hollyweird, California, and we record full-length versions that will be available on iTunes concurrent with their performance on the show. This is typically an 8- to 10-hour day, although sometimes circumstances create unusual challenges. Several weeks back, we started at 7 p.m. and ended up tracking until 6 a.m. I was driving home as the sun rose on the horizon. Day four of my week is Saturday. A typical Saturday means all day on Universal Studios lot, stage 12, the main stage, running through all the performances for Monday's show, camera blocking, audio, and lights. Day five is Sunday. Sunday, we spend all day on the main stage, running through everything for Tuesday's show and rehearsing for camera blocking, audio, and lights. Saturday and Sunday are also the days where choreography and pyrotechnics, fire and such, and cryogenics, cold air blasts, are rehearsed. Day six is Monday. Monday morning, dress rehearsal. We run the whole show top to bottom with all of the special effects, set changes, costume changes, bells and whistles. Then we shoot Monday performance live from five to seven. Day seven is Tuesday, mid-morning dress rehearsal like Monday. We run the whole show top to bottom with all the special effects, set changes, costume changes, bells and whistles. Then we shoot the Tuesday results show live from five to six. That's another thing that we need to mention. This is live. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. the, the pressure is insane. Then the next day, it's Wednesday, and my week starts all over again. So to any of my friends wondering, are we cool? Yes, in all caps. We're definitely cool. We're absolutely still down. Fist bump. I'm just mad busy at the moment. I swear it doesn't mean I don't love you. And whenever I come up from come up for air, we're definitely hanging again. <laughs> Dude. Pretty amazing. That's, I mean, and then you have to put that same schedule on quest love yep. right yeah i mean probably and, not I mean, quite as intense but right. similar but you know with quest it's more like it could be less intense but he chooses to make it more intense by and then i'm going to dj yeah, you right. know puff daddy's party and then i have to do this and then i'm recording this with the roots and so you know just just a heads up guys no none of these people are lucking into their gigs this is some of the hardest work you could ever imagine. They just happen to love what they're doing. So we give it that, oh, you're so lucky. And that is one thing. I'm going to make a video later this week. I just made a video for social media. I don't know if you saw it, Mike, just about the inner demons that we all go through, about self-doubt and stuff. Right. And so I'm going to make one about my most hated four-letter word, which is luck. Mm. Um, because... Nothing drives me more nuts than when somebody says how lucky I am. And I'm like, dude, I haven't slept in like years. What do you mean? I'm not – don't steal my hard work. You know, like you're so lucky to be the editor of Modern Drummer. It's like, really? Yeah. I I went to school for this. On one hand, it is is lucky. But on the other hand, there's years of preparation that create that luck. Yeah. And I I think – you know, I think when I look back at my lucky breaks – I just can't imagine that I still wouldn't have ended up somewhere very similar if those breaks didn't happen. Right. Uh, it might maybe the outcome would be a little different, or it would have taken more work. But I think hard work will 
Trump luck every day of the week. So, all right, buddy, let's get into our first topic. Our first topic today is teaching, and I wanted to talk about what it's like to teach a first-time student. So, not when the teacher is the first-time teacher, but when when a teacher's been teaching for a while and they get a brand new student. What do you go through with them? What do you teach them? Uh, and this is something that I've oddly never asked you in our entire friendship. Have you ever taught before? Yeah, actually, I, I like I, pr- private lessons. I mean, yeah, I never had a, a real job from my entire life up until this one because I oh, taught really? drums or, or played drums for money. That was, okay. that was my profession. So I, even in high school, I was teaching my peers. So as I was a, you know, a probably sophomore up through senior, I was teaching the underclassmen for drumline stuff or drum set. They wanted to learn that. And then, you know, all through college, I just, I paid my rent with just teaching lessons and stuff. And I just started teaching again privately about a year ago. Oh, nice, man. And they're Very all cool. beginners. So it's actually Are they really? yeah, first time, like ages five to 10. And do you do this at their house? Do you have a place to do it? Do you do it at your house? There's a local uh, rock school. It's not, a, oh, okay. it's not a school of rock, but it's one of those type. Yeah, classes. sure. But it's a facility that it will. And then do you have real drums? Do they have pads on them? Uh, they have both. There's a studio with two kits and like a full band. It's like the rehearsal room. Okay. So sometimes I'm in there, and there's also a drum teaching room that has a real drum set, but it has those sound off pads on it. Sure. Which I I have to say I'd, I'd rather just play electronic drums than those yeah. things. I agree. Uh, kind of going back and forth with people about that, I feel like you're you're taking all of the fun out of drums by hitting foam. I agree. And, um, yeah, I think that that stuff is great for the people that are already obsessed and they they yeah. just have to get these ideas out of their head. Um, for teaching somebody from scratch, I. I I can't do that type of stuff. Yeah. Inevitably, the, the kids just start wailing on the cymbal because that's the only thing that gives them any kind of response. And yeah. So they go off the bed and just start whacking on the metal. I'm like, <laughs> do you realize that's the worst sound ever in the history of yeah. sound? <laughs> they never they never hit it right either. They hit like the tip of the stick right on the edge of the cymbal, and it makes just the worst oh, quing. Oh, man. And you're like, yeah. And of course, they're brass cymbals, so they sound really terrible yeah. to begin with. Of course. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I have been starting teaching again, and a lot of beginners, so I've been having to reassess my own approach to this. Um, I used to be a very kind of structured, formal, learn how to read, learn the technique, be very strict, and then, you know, learn to love the, the process. I don't think today, I mean, that, was, that would have been in the, the mid-90s before the Internet took over our lives and everything sure. else. So you could kind of get away with that old school approach. Today, I think you have to, you have to keep them excited and, and having fun right away. So I teach them, I don't talk about technique I haven't talked about technique with any of these students since some have been with me for four or five months. Yeah. It's all fun. We just learn beats. I show them one of what Rich Redmond calls the money beats. And then if I can, I pick up a bass guitar and we just jam on it. So I teach them a beat, we jam on it. I teach them another beat, we jam on it. But then we teach three beats and then we can start creating songs. Yep. And then yeah. we might add a fill. But I don't talk theory or technique or anything. I let them just hit the drums however they want to hit them, and then we figure it out. If there's any issues, we'll address it. But if they want to play left-handed, they want to play right-handed, they want to stomp on the pedal with their full leg, just go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Because eventually they're going to figure out the right way, the more efficient way. Yeah, the only thing you ever want to do, in my opinion, is stop them from something that's truly hampering their progress on the instrument or will be detrimental physically to them later. But other than that, I mean, I remember having a private teacher and and I wasn't great and I wasn't horrible. I was kind of in that high school area where I, I took it seriously. I could play drums, but I wasn't a great drummer by any means in high school. And 
I took some lessons with this cat uh, that's kind of like the local stud in Sacramento or, or was one of them, mm-hmm. you know. And it was the upgrade process. Like, okay, you're not taking lessons at a music store anymore. Now you're going to the dude. Yeah. And the guy just railed on my left foot hi-hat open and close technique. Yeah, that's important. And <laughs> it just, I, right? And it was, he's like, you cannot ever play like that. You'll never be able to play like that. And I so – I mean I still play exactly like that only due to like the proving him wrong aspect. Like, <laughs> you know what? I am going to play – softer than any heel down player has ever played in the history of the world with my heel up just because of you and i'm gonna do it with my left foot i'm gonna do it with my right foot and so and i just remember that and i was like god that dude i got nothing out of the lesson because i spent a half hour obsessed on like why are you so mad at my left foot yeah you know and and i i mean all of the he probably gave me some great information went right over my head because i was obsessed with what he was so upset about so yeah you're right we the thing is, if you teach drums the proper way, you just have to be prepared for one out of every ten students to be able to handle that and to stick with the instrument. Mm-hmm. Nine will quit. So there are some teachers that are like, I I don't care that I can only do be I can only teach the way I was taught, and this is the right way to do it, and this is how it's going down. And it's like that's fine, but you're missing out on how many humans could actually play this instrument by just letting them have fun. Yeah. And at some point. They will wish they will learn who Dennis Chambers is. They'll learn who all these people are, and they'll go like, "Why can't why can't I play that fast?" And it's like, "Well, actually, the way you're gripping the stick is uh, is hampering your speed." Let me show you this technique, and yeah. they're ready to accept it. Then you know, yeah, yeah. One of the things that when I interviewed Don Famularo, he you know he's he's the same way. He's all about just getting people having fun playing drums, whether or not they you know how serious they want to be. And he had a good point that not everyone is trying to be a professional drummer. That's really hard. Most of them aren't. You know, as a teacher to think, because we all want, you know, our, our students to, to do this for the rest of their lives. But maybe it's just a right. couple years. I mean, I have one student who has learned disability, and, and, and he's honestly not progressing at all. But I think for his parents, just to have him come in and communicate and experience something and be active is enough. So we just exactly. we put on SpongeBob and we just jam along the SpongeBob. Absolutely. And that's man. all and that it's, matters. It's heaven. And that's all that matters. And that's... I mean, private lessons, if you've never taught private lessons, you won't understand this, but it is a counseling session way more than it is a drum lesson. Right. It's the You are the one person in their life that knows no one in their social circle. So they can tell you anything, and you couldn't possibly spill the beans because you don't know anyone that they're talking about. So they can open up to you. You Obviously, you're going to learn drums, but it's, it's a big, big thing. And the other thing, too, is especially when it comes to adult drummers, they probably have a job. They don't need money from the drum set. Mm-hmm. They don't need anything. And actually, a new world of drummers is being created right now that actually has no desire to play with other humans. They use the drum set as their vacation from reality. Interesting. They come home from a very tough job and a long day. They say hi to the family. They go down to their basement where they have the drum set, and that is their vacation from everything that has been on their mind and everything that's stressed them out, and they hit it. And it gives them everything they need, and they go upstairs, and they they can be with their family again, you know. And that's a new, and I'm noticing that in all of my camps. I I ask them all like, how how much do you jam with other musicians? Like, I never have. And I'm like, oh, are you like nervous? And I'm like, no, I just never wanted to. Interesting. I'm like, oh wow, why do you play the drums? Because I like it. <laughs> yeah. I put on my headphones and I you know play along to my favorite band, and I get a vacation from how stressful my job is. And you know, we just had a guy here that works for the ATF. What do you think his day's like, yeah, man? Yeah. Like, he comes home and he's like, uh, I'm going to hit something <laughs> and I will be a better man for it, you know? And so, so 
the thing is, it's like, okay, we can fight that and say you have to jam with musicians. Or we can support it and be like, whatever – if they bring you happiness, who am I to judge? Yeah. I mean the drums can I, have so many different functions that just because I I need to play with people doesn't mean you have to. Just because I need to practice in a structured way doesn't mean you need to. Exactly. I mean, it's, I th- it's really I – and mean, I think teaching little kids is probably the most humbling of that for me because it's – no matter what my agenda is – they're only going to latch on to what they want to latch on to. Absolutely. I haven't Absolutely. done any be- adult beginner students, so that would be a whole interesting it's, experience. It's a different ball game, And they also – it depends on who you get. If you get somebody that's very accomplished in their life, they haven't gone this far backwards in their life in decades. They don't remember how frustrating something can be. So within – a lesson. They're like, hey, when are we going to do that solo that Thomas Lang did in his first DVD? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, oh, well, he did it when he was 38, so that's when you'll do it, 38 <laughs> years from right now. And he started when he was one. So, um, so yeah, so it, it, it can be different. So, well, let me run you through my kind of first lesson process for any of the teachers out there. First thing I do when a student walks in the room, I start to ask them questions immediately. I want to get them relaxed. Uh, I ask them, why do you want to play the drums? Now, if it's a kid, the answers are going to be just kind of silly. But if it's an adult, they actually might have an answer to why they want to play the drums. All of these questions are so that I can start to form a lesson plan that is specifically tailored to that student. I don't ever want my students to feel like I'm giving them whatever I just gave the person before them. So I ask them why they want to play the drums. I ask them who their favorite drummer is. Generally, if a student is brand new and they've never played, they probably don't have a favorite drummer. Or if they do, it's the drummer that's in their favorite band. That becomes their default favorite drummer. Then I ask them, who's your favorite band or artist? And I have to write that stuff down. And the reason why is... I know that I have to eventually teach them some pretty boring stuff. I'm going to have to teach them what quarter notes are, what eighth notes are, what the paradiddle is. So why should why what does it have to be done to a click when I could do it with their favorite band? So if somebody tells me my favorite band is the Beatles, then I think okay, uh, Strawberry Fields. I know what tempo that is. It's a straight tune. It's, it doesn't shuffle. Okay, perfect. We'll use that one. And I kind of start to collect this song list. Like if we're doing something boring, we're going to do it along to your favorite band so that you can at least stay interested. After that, I teach them the most basic of matched grip technique and just say, this is how to hold the sticks. I put a little line at about the inch and a half mark um, with a Sharpie going up from the butt of the stick going up. Put a little circle and I just say, put your pinkies there. I don't want them holding the sticks too low or too high, just so there's a good fulcrum going on. And then I teach them quarter notes and eighth notes. Really simple. And the reason why is because I need them to learn their first groove. And I try to make this thing, we're going to learn your first groove, which is just eighths on the hi-hat kick on one and three snare on two and four and i make it a monumental thing we are learning your first groove today on may 18th 2016 remember this 20 years from now when you're still playing the drums may 18th 2016 you learned your first groove and the reason why i have to teach that to them in their first lesson is they are not allowed to leave that room and i only have a half hour with most of these people they cannot leave that room until they're playing that groove along with one of their a song from their favorite band. I need to get them hooked on how fantastic this instrument can be. Uh, and then that's usually it. If, if there's enough time left in the lesson, maybe I'll give them their first rudiment on May 18th, and that'll be double strokes. And that's about it. And then I just tell them to just obsess over that, and I show them how many millions of songs have that exact same groove in it or variations of it. And like you said, Mike, it's it's really all based around fun. If it is a kid, then usually what I'll do is 
right when they walk in, I'll say, hey, I need to go talk to your mom about something real quick. Go ahead and hit the drums as hard as you can. Anything you can break, you can keep. And I just want them to feel that I, they can't. They're just not strong enough to break anything. So I, But I want them to feel the power of this instrument. And I, tell, I also lie to them. It's probably not a good thing to tell teachers to lie. But I tell them that the room is soundproof. I don't want them to think I'm listening in. Yeah. But And they see studio foam everywhere, and they just assume it's soundproof. And I just tell them. Hit everything as hard as you can. Whatever you can break, you can keep. I'll be back in five minutes. And I and their and their parents usually aren't even in the room anymore yeah. or in the lobby. I just I just want them to hit things without anybody staring at them. Yeah, because it's a cool instrument, man. We are very lucky. Luck. We are so lucky. <laughs> We're fortunate. We're very fortunate. Fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> We're lucky that the god of of music gave us this instrument. So, have you ever taught oh, someone right. with yeah. uh, with uh, really bad ADD? Yes. How do you? Handle oh, you mean drummers? Yeah. Like a, you mean all drummers? <laughs> well, no. I mean like no, no. You mean like legitimate ADD? Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's frustrating because you get you feel like you're getting somewhere, and then they just you know zap into a different zone. It's like oh man, uh, and I, I get so scared. It's like you're not going to retain this. Uh, yeah. And then, and we'll have to do this half hour over again and again and again. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't teach. Um, I don't even really teach private lessons anymore. I just have some people that are coming through town and Amber will schedule like a special hour or something. But yeah, with ADD, usually it's just kind of trying to snap them back into place and just saying, you know, or, or maybe I'll just talk to them about something other than the drums. I'll ask them something's going on in their lives. Uh, I'll immediately be like, let's trade fills. Let's play to a song. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to get back on the track of fun. But yeah, I've, I've had learning disabilities before, and with the learn, if it's a severe learning disability, like I've, I've had students with Down syndrome, and I've just told the parents, look, I can't say what your child is capable of and not capable of, but I can tell you, most likely, I'm going to hang out with your son or daughter for a half an hour, and we're going to hit some things and have some fun. Yeah. And I, my, my early, my first best friend growing up uh, was Down syndrome, so I'm kind of. I have no problem being around Down syndrome kids, and like as far as I understand what they're going to go through over the course of a half an hour. Yeah. Um, so I let the parents know, like, hey, all I can tell you is I'm going to be your your son's friend or your daughter's friend, and if we get some drumming in and they retain it, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think the only problem I've ever had with parents and students is students that are too young, and the parents just swear that their kid has a gift for rhythm. And the kid is three, and it's like maybe your child does, but they don't have the brain capacity to retain any of the information I'm giving them yeah. over the course of a week. Now, if I could come to your house every day and reiterate this stuff, fine. But weekly lessons, it's not going to happen. And so, um, not to mention their limbs don't reach anything. Yeah, you know, I just tell them, hey, I will here. Here's here's a pair of sticks, and here's a pad. You can have these. Call me back in three years when your kid is six, and I'm happy to do this. Yeah, you know, yeah, cool. So, All right, let's get into our featured artist. So featured artist this time is Mr. Klaus Hessler. Klaus, uh, if you guys haven't seen him, you should check him out. He's a fantastic drummer. But one thing that I noticed while reading your guys' article and then researching him more, I didn't realize why he was such a fantastic drummer. I didn't know about all of the rudimental stuff. I didn't know about the Jim Chapin stuff and kind of taking the torch of the Moeller method over and really, really being very, I guess, uh, obsessed with the world of rudimental drumming and the techniques that allow this instrument to be played. So that, that kind of blew me away. And then, and then the drumming of his that I've fallen in love with over the years made a little bit more sense. I just kind of took it for granted. I'd watch a YouTube clip here and there. I'd see a post here and there. 
And I just thought I've always thought he was incredible, but I never went out of my way to find out why he was the way he was. How long have you known about Klaus? I think he played Pasic. I don't know. It was like three or four years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. That was the first yep. time I, I saw him perform. Um, but I kind of seen some videos and things and, and books. I know that um, I'm pretty sure he's he, he's one of the franchise owners of Dom Familaro's drum wisdom drum shed. So, okay. I, so I think he. That's how he probably met Jim Chapin as well. He came over here, studied with Dom for a while, and Dom introduced him to Jim. And and then Dom has a great policy that he he co like his the guys who are like his best students. He makes them come up with book ideas, and then he co writes books with them. So he gets his students actually oh, wow. producing content and and contributing to the curriculum. And once they reach a certain level, so I've kind of just seen his name as like co writing with Dom Pamelaro and and. You know, writing about Jim Chapin and so on and so forth, but seeing him perform at Pasic was was a whole another experience. The guy's a serious monster. Um, I hit, he I love his open handed approach. It's it doesn't feel I don't feel disconnected like I like I do when I see Simon Phillips or some of these other guys play. It feels like he's his flow open handed makes perfect sense and it makes me want right. to do it a hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's so great and his kit. I was looking at his kit. Did you see the the picture of his side his sidebar of his his setup? No. Everything is super tight and close and flat and and I could not play that, but I know you kind of have that same approach of a kind of flat tight setup. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going through Modern Drummer uh what would you call this? Modern Drummer Online? Digital Digital Edition. Excuse me. Modern Drummer Digital. <laughs> it's page 53. All right. Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Would you feel comfortable yeah, that, playing that? Or would you feel like you're going to whack your knuckles? Yeah, that's a little okay. The flatness I don't mind, and how low everything is. It's actually it's just a little too cramped. Um, you can see his hi hats are about two inches into both snares, um, so I would have some problems with that. The ride is covering his uh, smaller tom and going over the floor tom. So I would, I would. It's a cramped setup. Uh, Let's just say this respectively because oh, yeah, clearly he does just fine. <laughs> it's perfect for him. Yeah, <laughs> doing just fine. But yeah, it, it's a little cramped for me. But the height of everything I would feel very comfortable on. I'm a, I'm very low and flat kind of player. And that's it's funny. Someone just asked about that on the live online lessons yesterday about they were talking about my evolution. They were calling me DW Mike and Gretsch Mike. Oh, interesting. And they were like, <laughs> yeah, they were like, man, DW Mike, everything was tall and, and big and loud and you hit so hard. And now you play very different and you, and everything's come down. And I was like, man, it's just I think it's the evolution going from band world to clinician world where I'm playing a very efficient setup because I just play for myself now. Yeah. And, um, and my drumming has gotten a lot quieter because – I play. I used to play where there was a huge separation between myself and the crowd, and now I play where the crowd is so close, and they're all drummers, and I don't want them to have to plug their ears when I play. Yeah. And the drums really sing a lot more when you play them quieter. So I, I've, I've fallen in love. I almost feel bad for my DW time because I never really got to hear the tone because I hit the drums so hard I choked <laughs> them. So, but anyways, no, I think. Uh, but and Klaus has got quite a few bells and whistles on that kit. Yeah, I mean, it's clear he's got like a right hand side and a left hand side. That's kind of yeah. he's dividing it up very logically. It's pretty and it's, cool. It's pretty awesome. But yeah, I'd, I have the opposite. I guess because I'm just a lanky person, so okay. I, I just physically I have to spread the kit out. But something I've noticed recently, and I remember Billy Ward mentioning this years ago, but I just noticed it for myself. I guess because I'm really like digging into the minutia of my timing. That when stuff is spread out, 
there's so much more of a chance you're going to be late coming back. Like if you go to oh, play wow. the right side crash with your right hand and you have to go back to the ride symbol groove, you're going to be late coming back to that. Yeah, groove. there's a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to do that. It takes a lot of time. And, and, I don't, and how do you compensate? I don't know. I think I just need to not worry about the physical and just get the kit set up a little bit tighter. But yeah, because honestly, when you do compensate, that's actually when you I've noticed that's when you rush, you overcompensate to get back there in time. You end up coming in early. Yeah. Um, and because you feel the distance and stuff. And, and that's one thing people don't take into account very often is the physicality of timing. Yeah. And um, and I think if you watch Klaus play, clearly, he I, I mean, the dude is pretty incredible. I, I mean, and I I have seen him do the gig stuff too. Like I haven't just seen like his drum show off videos. He can pl- he can lay it down. Yeah, you know, it's not if you are looking for the Klaus Hessler like throw it down big man type of thing, and then you find him on stage with a trio, you're going to be bummed because he's actually doing his gig yeah. and he's doing it really well. Um, you know, I think sometimes we're kind of waiting for like, okay, yeah, you're holding your pocket, but go ahead and just flambe the entire <laughs> stage right now, and it's like, well, it's pretty unnecessary. So I, I think he's a really musical drummer. Yeah. Um, now, have you actually met Klaus before? Yeah, it was at Pasic. We, we just for just briefly, but I mean, he's written cool. some stuff for us, so we've we've exchanged a lot of emails in the past. He's actually going to write some stuff coming up on. Uh, I was going to say he just started writing again, right? For he, you guys? Yeah, and he just he just put out this book called Camp Duty Update, which is. All I think it's like all the Swiss style rudiments, which is such a foreign language. If you've never really checked it out, the phrasing is, oh, yeah. is like really different than than American style rudimental drumming. So he's going to write some pieces on that. It's kind of like a it's like a triplety, like a really tight shuffle kind of a feel, which is really, really? pretty wicked. I remember yeah, hearing I mean, that I, stuff, and and it didn't like I played drum core, and this is like drum core, but the phrasing just makes no sense to me. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> He's uh, he's pretty amazing at all of that stuff for sure. I mean, if you, if you guys get a chance, I mean, just follow him on his Facebook page. He actually posts a lot of this stuff. He posts the the articles that he's writing for Modern Drummer. He he posts. And the one thing I love about Klaus is when you read the stuff that he's writing for Modern Drummer and stuff, you kind of feel like, okay, cool, I could write that too if I was sitting in front of Sibelius and blah blah. blah. No, he plays it. Yeah. And when he plays it, you're like, oh crap, <laughs> that's not easy. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and ignore that that ever happened and just hope that three years from now, without any practice at all, it'll show up in my playing. Oh, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, you can get uh, Camp Duty update on his website. His website is Klaus Hessler. That's C-L-A-U-S-H-E-S-S-L-E-R.com, KlausHessler.com. And there's lots of stuff there. You can check out all of his books. Uh, he's got DVDs. And um, I remember when... Um, was it the drumming Kairos DVD came out? Yeah, or is that did I say that right? Yeah, I think so. Kairos K A, yeah. Um, but I remember when that came out, I was like, wait a minute, because that was at a time a few years ago where you don't just come out with a DVD, someone makes it for you, and it's, yeah. it's a big It's like, wait, who contacted you to make a DVD? That's a big <laughs> deal, and so that that immediately made me take him really seriously. And I checked out all the clips from that, and I was like, whoa, this dude is the real deal. Yeah, and his open handed so, drumming books are. are- I think if you're interested in that topic at all, that's the place to start. There you go. Open-handed playing volume one and volume two. Pretty amazing stuff. So KlausHessler.com. Check him out for sure. All right, let's get into some candy, buddy. Okay, the first question I have about these drums, and these are the Doc Sweeney. Is that the company? Yep. Doc Sweeney drums. Are these this? Is this the same company that makes the one for Todd Zuckerman? Do you know? No, but it looks very similar. That's Stainbridge. Okay. 
Okay. I just wanted to make sure because I just – just actually it was just the one uh, – is it the Midnight Edge or the Nara King? Nara King. It's the one – Nara King has those hoops <clears throat> that I just was like, oh, wow. I wonder if that's the same company. Well, these things are unreal, man. It looks like they've, they've got their own lugs. Yep. Um, and that wood hoop on the Nara King is unreal. So I know that Miguel got to review these, but did you get to see them while they were at Modern Drummer? Do you know anything about them? I didn't. I mean, I coordinated the reviews, so I, I got to know the guys a little bit. I believe they're okay. from San Diego. Um, oh, wow, really? Yeah, I believe so. I think, yeah, looking at their the website, they, they all grew up in Iowa playing drum corps and then went their own, you know, each of their own professional careers, and now they came back to to chase down their original passion for drumming. Um, and I'm pretty sure they're in San Diego. So, and they're they're from all reports, they're making their own shells and everything. So it's all handmade drums. The one you're talking about, the Nara King, is it's a stave shell. It's like a half inch thick stave shell drum, six and a half by fourteen. It's made of Nara, Babinga, and maple. And, and it says it has Sabian snare wires. I didn't know Sabian made snare. Yeah, wires. Yeah, they started making wires. Really accessories. I think they're made of brass. Sure, that's that's cool. Yeah. Well, I, one thing I was actually really surprised about was the price. These are not as insane as I would have thought they were going to be. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just their kind of, you know, uh, list price or if that's the sale price um, since these are obviously being – I would imagine you only get these from Doc Sweeney, right? Yeah, I believe it's all direct orders, custom orders at the moment. But Right. So, so that might actually be the price? Yeah. The, uh, the, the other one we reviewed, I believe, was just a, it was a solid maple, the Midnight the, the Midnight blue. Edge. Yeah. Yep. That's, no, that's a single-ply Elm. Which elm? Elm I've never, never heard. So wow. That one's like 750 The The uh, Nara King, which has – more different types of timber and the wood hoops that's 1250 which is not unreasonable for a handmade custom drum right well let me ask you this like where do you kind of stand on snare hoarding i mean every time we do a review i'm I'm looking at these right now i'm like oh san diego i should just go down there and (laughs) meet the guys and and order one of these like but then it's like but when is enough enough like uh you know what i think enough is enough when you start buying uh you start overlapping. Like okay. if, if you already have something that sounds like this drum and then you buy something else that sounds like that drum. But even so then, the fact that I have like six of the exact same drum <laughs> in different colors, that's a problem. Okay. That's not, all not a know, problem, man. but that's when you realize that you're just, you're just, you're satiating the need to buy. Maybe I could, I could ask Gretch if we can use one of them as a giveaway for the modern drummer <laughs> podcast. Got it. Got it. Well done. No, I mean, I, I just, they're very original looking drums. Um, I'm kind of a, it's as sad as this is, uh, since we haven't even heard these yet, I'm kind of a, a badge snob. If I don't like your badge or your lugs, I can't get on board with it. Yeah, and it has yeah. nothing to do with the sound, but this badge just looks, it's, it's cool, man. It's very, very classy. The lugs are fantastic. Uh, looks like they're using maybe some, uh, trick throw offs. Yep. Which are always and, great. Yeah, so it, it's high-quality stuff. Well, uh, so we have audio of Miguel playing these? Yeah, Miguel Monroy recorded these in his studio down in Louisville, uh, well, Louisville area. So okay. um, we'll have, you know, I'm just, we're just going to do the Nara King, and I'll just drop in a couple chunks of his excerpts. You can watch the whole demo video and stuff on moderndrummer.com, but you can listen to it here. Perfect.
so it's time to get to some questions here. We have a bunch. So this first one comes in from Scott Kurth. Um, yeah, buddy. Who's been active on your website, I've seen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. So he has a question. It's, it's addressed to me, uh, but I think we could probably both weigh in on it. He says, how do you select the drums and cymbals that you use to record your videos, uh, specifically on my YouTube channel? But basically, it's a general question of how do you select drums and cymbals? Which I think relates into what we were just talking about, like how, how do you know when you're you're hoarding too much gear or when is enough enough? Yeah. Uh, for me personally, I've spent years, ten years, buying and selling and researching and just collecting all what I think are the essential sounds. So I'm a I'm a nerd about like researching what did Josh Freese use on the first Perfect Circle record. All right, what do I have that matches that, or what do I need to purchase to give me that sound? So I bought a bell brass snare because I'd know did that. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, I did. I those aren't those aren't affordable. No, they are not. But I bought. <laughs> I bought. What a, kind did you get? Matches of maple. Oh man! Yeah, that's it's an amazing drum, and for like a powerful rock, modern rock sound, you really can't beat it. So I just figured I had to have one of those. So I bought that. So, so the answer to the question specifically, I research what the guy used on the original recording, and I either purchase something that I, that will fit that void or I just use what I have. So everything on my YouTube channel, I'm trying to match the original recording as close as possible. Um, as far as how do I select in general, um, I kind of have like a, a bright and a dark. So I have bright cymbals and dark cymbals. I have bright drums and I have dark drums. So I kind of just go with that. So if it's a song that needs kind of a mellower sound, I'll go with the darker cymbals and maybe the tubbier drums if it's a, a rock song or something aggressive i'll go with the brighter cymbals and the brighter maple drums nice. general do you have any thoughts Thanks, on man. it well i mean i obviously my thoughts are a little skewed just because of the fact that i'm i have endorsements so i kind of already know what i'm going to be playing for the most part i i can tell you this i play whatever i like i mean i have Pretty much every symbol that Minel has in production, it's here. And, you know, I've had them send them for, so the campers can use them. But obviously, I can use whatever I want. So the symbols that are on my kit are my favorites. Um, only one is a technically a signature product, which would be the ride. Everything else, I mean, I can switch out as much as I want. Um, and then the drums, <clears throat> I have a USA Custom here and then a, a Brooklyn, a Broadcaster, and a New Classic. And, yeah, I just play my favorites. I, I would say the only thing that really ever swaps out on my drum set is my snare drum. I'm constantly changing snares. And it's always a 14 by 5.5 or almost always 14 by 5 or 14 by 5.5. And, and I just switch different materials. Some, t some days I just want more – and I'm always in the same room. So it's not yeah. even a room thing. I just want more snap and I go to either that bronze or a chrome over brass. And then right – usually about the two-week period of that – I'm like, God, it's so snappy and so sensitive. Give me a maple drum that just has some thwack to it. And and then eventually the thwack is like, oh, it's so dull and dead, and you know? And yeah. it's it just it's how I wake up in the morning. That, that's kind of it. Um, I could say that um, the only thing that I ever want to change out sometimes is my, my favorite symbol on the planet is the original transition ride that was approved as a prototype. So we made like 10 rides. And the one that I said, this is the transition ride, that's still probably my favorite symbol on the planet. And I can't tell if it's sound or if it's the symbol that represented this thing. That mm. There's so much tied to that ride symbol. I mean, we give the royalties to a dog charity. There's people yeah, that post yeah. pictures. I mean, it became a thing. And there's this 
this when I when I look at this symbol, I remember unboxing it and being like, "Well, here's another ugly raw symbol, but it's, it says custom symbol shop prototype <laughs> on it." And I hit it, and it was like, "That's it, man. I've been looking for that for a very long time, and it's right there." Yes. And so, yeah, even even still, but I know that if I do it on social media, people will be like. Dude, Mike doesn't even play his own symbol because it doesn't look like a transition ride. It doesn't have the polish on oh, the top. Really? Yeah, it's it's very raw. So, and I would assume it actually has a different sonic characteristic because it doesn't have the polish on it, and that polish adds darkness to the symbol. So, do so. they keep like a like a master symbol over there to reference? Yep. So, what happened is they sent me the symbol. Uh, they kept sending symbols until I approved it. We did a twenty inch transition ride that I have here. We have a twenty two inch transition ride that I have here. Finally, we got the twenty one. Once I approved it, they said, great, send it back to us. And I was like, no. <laughs> and I had to send it back to them. They sent it to Turkey. That became their master symbol until I picked a finished transition ride that I said, that's the one. And that stays in Turkey. And that's the master symbol. Oh, then they sent the prototype back to you. Yep. Oh, yeah. awesome. Just for kind of like a keepsake. Sweet. Um, but I, I love it. So, um, all right, next question. Next question. All right, so this is coming from Chris. He's going to be traveling for three months, and he won't have access to his drum set for that amount of time. Oh. He's bringing a practice pad and sticks so he can work on his hands, but he wants to know what do we suggest he do to work on his feet. He's a double bass player. You know what? I mean, as long as you're a heel up, it doesn't even matter, heel up or heel down, but, I mean, you just stomp on the ground. Yeah, you exactly. Know? That's it. I remember um, uh, Mike Borden, his cover story, I don't know when that was, 94, 93? Sure. That was one of the questions, like, what do you do to develop your, your – because his bass drum is so powerful and so fast. He's like, all I do is I play eighth notes on the floor, heel down, I start slow, and I pick up the speed until my till I can't stand it, till the my shins burn, and then right. I stop, and then I do it again. <laughs> I mean <laughs> – Dude, there's no magic pill. I, I mean, you just have to do it. But no, I think the other thing is it sounded like he's willing to work on his hands with a pad and hopefully out of a book and, and really develop his hands in these three months. It's like, why not learn all those same patterns with your feet? Yeah. So don't just focus on speed and you know raw, raw physical ability, but focus on the independence with your feet and the dynamic nature. Could you maybe go through some permutation accent exercises with your feet, accenting the downbeats of 16ths, then the E's, then the ands, and the uhs. Uh, maybe play 16th notes with your feet and accent accent a 3-2 son clave or something. So I think whatever work you're putting in with your hands, put it in with your feet. But trust me, the pedals, your feet will figure that out when you get back in town and you're around your kid again. But... If you practice like that, you will you will retain the growth that you get from it for sure. Cool. Okay, next question. This comes from Ryan. He is the owner of a '90s Premier Genista kit, which you had. Yes. That. Didn't you have that? Sorry. Hell yeah, <laughs> I, had I had it twice. I had it. I sold it. I bought it back from the guy that I sold it to, and then I actually eventually sold it again. What and, color but was I, yours? But I, what's that? What color? I had the gunmetal gray sparkle. Nice. And so, and I, I had it. The first one I had, I had in um, the Virgil Donati green from mm. the Modern Drummer Festival. That's that the Modern Drummer Festival. Um, I can't remember what year that was. Maybe ninety seven or some of those. Tony Royster, Virgil, yeah. Horacio. Uh, that I was like, okay, I'm sold. Yeah. I want that drum set. And uh, and it was kind of a way to have a DW without a DW, meaning that I loved the round DW lugs. But I couldn't afford a DW, and the premier, the premier Genista was kind of it had the round lug thing. But then it was they sold it on like, dude, it's, the shells are six millimeters smaller than a normal shell. There's right. more head contact, <laughs> right. right? 
it's like a timpani drum. It's all contact. It's all resonance. And they came with rims mounts, which was brand new at the time. Yeah. And I was like, this is the dopest drum set ever. <laughs> and apparently if I buy it, I'll play like Virgil Donati. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I had the green, sold that. Then I had the silver, um, uh, but it wasn't silver. It was gunmetal gray sparkle. That was like my favorite kit. And then eventually I actually signed with – when I signed with DW, that's when I got rid of that. But I sold that to uh, a close friend, and so it's still in rotation now. He plays it in his church gigs, and I, kn- I know where that kit is Amazing. at all times. Yeah, it must have been yeah. something in the late 90s where they made a huge push because I bought a Signia kit like 97. It was my graduation <sighs> present. Yeah, yeah that that was that that actually was a real choice between DW and a Signia because that was an expensive drum set. Yeah, it was. Um, it was like my first professional kit. I got the dark walnut finish with the gold hardware. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the long lugs all yep. the way down the shell. Okay, so so what's the question <laughs> now that we're done reminiscing? So yeah, so you know, go premiere. Um, he wants to know if we have any <laughs> reference for how tight to torque the lug screws on the inside of the shell, which is something I never really thought of. Wow. Yeah. You know, actually, I've thought of it when I've re- removed a lug or replaced a lug because I thought, uh, if I tighten this much more, it's going to press into – this is wood, yeah. you know? On, on a metal drum, I've never thought about it. But on a, on my wood drums, I'm like, am I going to like kind of make an impression on the wood or kind of dent it? So, yeah, that's a – that's funny. I, I don't know. We should actually reach out to maybe somebody at Ludwig or Gretsch or Tama and ask, like, do you – do this by hand or where do, where do you stop cuz you have to assume if you just keep going hard enough that metal is stronger than the wood it's being pressed into so the metal's going to win yeah right? I, I generally just tighten it to where i it with a just by not going too nuts with the screwdriver it's it's tight it doesn't move because i've actually had them strip out the lugs before yeah and if you strip out a lug then you're really screwed yep. you have to buy a whole new yeah. lug so and, and and my uh my acrylate snares are notorious for those things working themselves out and oh, stripping really? okay. because it's a cheaper student Man. model drum. It's cheaper lugs. and How lame is it when it happens on a floor tom and you hit your floor tom and you hear this, and it's like bouncing on the bottom head. And it's like, ah, one of my screws came out and I'm in the middle of a gig. And now every time I hit my floor tom, it's like the resonance is nine minutes long while this thing popcorns on the bottom of the head. Yeah. So, Ryan, I think you're on the right path. Just tighten it so it doesn't move and don't go nuts. Just to be careful not to strip it. And you know if if they're if they're working themselves loose, just just keep you know keep an eye on them. But I wouldn't I wouldn't stress too much about it. There you go. All right, where are we at? We've got a uh, let's do let's see let's do two more maybe. Let's see what sure. we can get through. Um, actually, these are both exactly the same topic from two different people. So one's coming okay. from Michael Bertolino, and the other one's coming from Jason Robertson. So essentially, they want to know. What are our thoughts on miking drums for live? Because we talked a lot about the studio and not as much yeah. about live. So Michael was asking, how would you approach setting up for live if you have one to four mics? Um, and Jason is essentially asking a general live concept with sure. multiple mics. So he has mics for his snares, toms, and his bass drum, and one overhead. Okay. Yeah, Jason was just here at camp. Killer drummer. He was in, uh, I believe, the Navy band or the Army band. Anyways, he's a military drummer. Cool. Um, Really good player for sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think live is a little bit different because you want to capture much less of the ambiance. You don't want room mics and and super sensitive large diaphragm overheads. You want more, well, at least in my opinion, 
more small diaphragm overheads, if any overheads at all, yeah. so that you can you know point them in a, in a specific direction. But yeah, I think uh, in live situations, close miking it's kind of the opposite of the way that I do my lessons. Like I, I think I think it sounds fantastic. There's nothing better than when you're in sound check and the guy says kick, and then and you can just hear the subs turn yeah, on, right. and it's like oh. My, and you know, like, okay, I know my kick sounds nothing like that, but that's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool that that's happening. That it, that's what it sounds like when it's amplified. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would pr- probably prefer, if I was doing a live gig with only four mics, probably be kick, snare, and then two small condenser overheads to just pick up the drum set. Um, I have heard kick, snare, rack, and floor with no overheads and no uh, nothing overhead. And it it's a little hollow on the cymbals. Um, so, what about you, man? You play live gigs almost every week. Yeah, it's if, it depends on the the genre and the room for me. So, if it's a if it's a a beat heavy, like a, a contemporary kind of beat heavy gig, then I would say mic the kick, mic the snare, forget the toms, right. and if you can do it with an overhead, fine. But the kick and snare is what needs to cut through. Yep. Um, if it's a jazz thing, then you probably could just do one or two overheads and call it a day. I mean, there's really nothing more offensive to a jazz drummer than a sound guy coming up and saying, there's no hole in your bass drum. Oh, <laughs> There's nothing more offensive than that. <laughs> because it's not, a, it's not, you know, it's a different sound. So yeah. I think the genre is, is 90% of it and then the room. So if you're playing, if you're, if you're playing anything smaller than like a, like a 900 seat capacity room, then you, I don't think you need overheads. I think your, your hi-hats and your, your, your crashes are going to cut just fine. So I would go yeah. kick snare and then mic up the toms. Yeah, there you go. Boom, Bob's your uncle. Yep. Cool. All right, so that basically answers both our questions. So that is it Fantastic. for the questions. All right. Keep them coming. Coming. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. Ah, didn't even have to remind you this time. No. Well done, buddy. So <laughs> proud of you. All right, let's get into our picks of the week. Uh, this week, my pick is something that I instantly texted mike about and that is a drummer and it's somebody you know when you see kind of the clips on facebook or you see the clips on on instagram i I honestly just scroll past most of that stuff because otherwise i'll be there for the rest of my day and i just can't afford uh, that much time on social media and but for some reason i just was like let me click on this and it was a guy named nate smith and beast i i just was blown away and i was i I really just couldn't even handle the fact that I didn't know who this guy was. I was like, this is so good. And it was so many combinations of different drummers all at once that eventually, instead of telling you who he reminded me of, I'll tell you that he reminds me of Nate Smith. Yeah. It, it was it was just incredible. And every clip was like another, like, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And that's pretty amazing. So um, you guys did a – did you do a cover story or just a story on we him? We did a feature on him. It's been a couple feature. of years. Uh, okay, but yeah, a couple years ago. But you knew who he was. Yeah, I mean, I I've been a huge fan of the Dave Holland Quintet since college, um, and it was actually funny because I, I I was a big Billy Kilson fan. Like he kind of like took over my world my like later years in college. So because I'd never heard of him, and I went to see the Dave Holland band. I was like, oh my god, who is this dude playing drums? It's sort okay. of jazz, but it's sort of not. It's sort of R and B, but it's not. It's he's got a whisper soft touch. And like super fast, so Billy Kilson was my dude. When I found out that he wasn't playing with Dave Holland anymore, I was a little bit snobbish. Like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to. Who is this kid? Like, I don't want to check this out. He's not going to be Billy Kilson. 
Right. So it took me a while, but I mean, he owns that band. Nate just owns that band. So he's on a couple of his big band records and small group records. And then the core of Dave Holland's group uh, went off and did like Chris Potter's records. And yep. Chris Potter Underground is, the, I think, the name of the project. Yep. And they've got some ridiculous stuff. Um, I actually heard that project when I just was putting on iTunes music, like the radio, iTunes, whatever they call sure. it. And I just went for the, the the new jazz station, and that came, one of those tracks came on. I'm like, I don't know who this is, but it's blowing my mind. <laughs> and it was Nate. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I know that Picks of the Week are supposed to be something that we are able to convince you to spend your money on. And I feel bad. There's got to be some podcast podcast listener that's got a closet full of our picks of the week. It's like I don't know. They kept telling me to get it. Here's my tune bot. Here's my you know my magnetic drum key. Well, I hope um, so. I hope well, yeah. Hope hopefully that some of it solves some problems for you guys. But I like I said, just check out Nate Smith. Um, I'm sure we'll cover him more in the future. But. It was just one of those things where I scrolled past a video and I just clicked on it. It was 15 seconds, and I just was blown away. What's your pick of the week, buddy? Um, man, I should go with another Nate. Do you know Nate Wood? I know the name. He's uh, in the band Kneebody. Okay. It's, I guess I don't know it's him. It's a similar similar vibe. It's kind of contemporary jazz, not swinging, but but very sure. delicate and intricate and intense all, all at the same time. So I'm not going to pick him, but check him out because he posted a video – Kneebody. It's one word is the name of the band. Kneebody. K N E E B O D Y. Okay. They posted a couple of videos of Nate during sound check. This other Nate, Nate Wood. Nate Wood, yeah. It's silly. It's absolutely silly. So, really? Yeah, check them Nate out. Nate Wood, I'm on it. I'm on it. So, yeah, Nate, Nate Morton, and <laughs> Nate Wood. And Nate's. Oh, wow. It's a triple Nate. <laughs> and the guy that runs the cameras here is Nate Martin, not Nate Morton. So, if you so weren't Nate confused in one hour. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Nate Wood. Nate who did I say? Who did you, you say? Said, you said I said I said Nate Smith. <laughs> who does who's on first? Do you even have a pick of the week? I do. Or you just stall in while you look around your office for something. I cool? do, but I kinda wanna leave it at that Nate Wood clip because it's it's so ironically parallel. No, my my pick of the week is uh you know, I think it was last week we talked about uh someone asked a question about pain in their arms and how does yeah. that you know, know yep. when it's when it's too much. And I mentioned using the tennis ball to kind of rub out any kind of knots. Well, uh, one of our, my good friends and one of our weekly listeners, Powell Randolph, he sent a message he's like, "Hey, I do the same thing because I'm always on airplanes, and airplanes just ruin my shoulders. But what I do is I put a tennis ball inside of a sock. That way, I okay. can fling the tennis ball over my shoulder and then get really get into all those knots on your shoulder blades and stuff." Wow. So that would be my pick of the week. Take a tennis ball, put it in a clean sock, and carry, it, carry it in your cymbal bag or your, your travel bag and you know, work out all the knots in your back and shoulder before you play. It'll do wonders. Well, check this out. Uh, based off that same thing, uh, we got a letter <clears throat> uh, from Joshua Lehman. Did you get that letter? No, about, uh, I don't think so. He said, I'm an avid listener of the Modern Drummer podcast. I absolutely love it and can't get enough of it. I ride my bike to work about 10 miles each direction, and it occupies myself. And I occupy myself with the podcast, um, but I, or with podcasts. But I always look forward to Friday commutes because I get to listen to your podcast. Um, and then he says, I'm a uh, physiotherapist and was a personal trainer for years here in Canada. I have found myself wanting to write to offer my thoughts uh, from a healthcare's professional opinion a few times. Listening to the newest episode, I couldn't help but email. I'm guessing you'll have numerous responses, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, um, 
I have been involved in sports my entire life. I've been drumming on and off for 16 years, completed my master's in physiotherapy in 2013. I've always wanted to combine my love for music with my passion for physiotherapy. And he just offered his services. He's like, if you guys want to reach out to me anytime you have questions like this, I'd be happy to help. Oh, cool. So I thought that was cool. So maybe Joshua Lemon can be our uh, our staff physiotherapist for the drummers out there. Yeah, so you should weigh in on the, the tennis ball and the gym sock. Is that is it going to be ruining my cartilage or is it going to be helping <laughs> – <laughs> He's like, I, I would just love to, for him to be like, I've never heard of the tennis ball and the sock technique, but uh, <laughs> it's almost like a full uh, metal jacket. You put soap in a, in a sock and yeah, right. Yeah, just well, I thought you meant you were just putting it in the sock and then flinging it over your shoulder and nailing yourself in the back. And I'm not kidding. I thought you were like trying to like hit a spot. And I was like, dude, please, you're gonna it's, look like no, a moron. Not like Da Vinci Code, you know? Self- yeah, 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 right. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I was I was visualizing that exact scene. No, you wow, use the sock call. as a handle so you don't have to worry about dropping the tennis ball. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes lots of sense. Anyway, All anyway right. my pick of the week is Nate Wood. Check out. <laughs> like like we said earlier, check the Nates. Uh, Nate Smith. Wait, is that right? You got Nate Smith. Yeah, Nate Smith. <laughs> I got Nate, Nate Wood. Wood. And then and Nate Morton. <laughs> on the Nate floor. Morton. Oh, geez, Louise, this is a perfect time for us to say if you get a chance and you just can't get enough of this podcast, <laughs> please go ahead and give us a four or five star rating. We'd really appreciate it. And the written reviews are the best thing you could do for us because it just helps other drummers find this podcast. And that's really what we want. So everyone have a fantastic week. Practice your ass off. And for Mike and I, we are out of here. See you next time.